Welcome to the Jesus Church Podcast. We're a family seeking to become like Jesus, empowered by His presence, to partner in God's creative work of restoring the world. We pray this episode encourages and equips you along the journey. We're in the last week of a three-week vision series, and our hope as we jump kind of into the fall was to remind us of who we are as a church uh, and, and to really call us to be the people who God has called us to be. It's truly one of the things that I love so much about the fall, and the fall is now truly upon us. All the Portlanders in the room go, yeah, it is. Here, it's here now, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Sweaters are coming back. Sweaters are coming back. Uh, I know, I know, I know. It's, it's sad for some of you. Um, anyways, but one of the things I love about the fall is just so much, fre- there's freshness in the air and the leaves are starting to change color. And there's something about that, even the changing of the leaves, it's like it invites us to change like a leaf in our own life, like the turning of a leaf for us, as, uh, for a season for us. That said, in case you missed the giant words as you entered today, We exist to join God in the renewal of all things by becoming a unified, spirit-filled family that follows the way of Jesus. Now, we believe that... Yeah, thanks. That was good. Yeah. woohoo! Yeah. (laughs) We believe that God has called us to bring his healing to our city and our world, bringing his resurrection power and beauty into our workplaces and our schools and our neighborhoods. And this happens as we live as a unified, spirit-filled, Jesus-following family, making space for reconciliation and beauty and wholeness and life everywhere we go. So far, we've talked about what it means to be a family that's committed to each other and gathering on purpose, acknowledging the fact that we need each other to be together with each other in order to be the family that God has called us to be. Whether that was last week's family night, which was a huge success. We had so many people there. It was so much fun. And I'll tell you what, the food was extraordinary. Can I get an amen? Like, it was unbelievable. There was like so many like homemade dishes and like mom's special salsa. And like, it was incredible. I I ate some pretty amazing things. Whether it's that, like family night when we come together, or whether it's these kind of things, like what we're doing right now here in the gathering at the 9 a.m., Not just passively watching something happen, but actually encountering God's presence at the altar together. We are being formed into his image as we even this morning participate together in worship as a family. Last week, we talked about being a family with an open table, both figuratively and literally. God is a father to the fatherless who places the lonely in families. He's pulled us together to be a vehicle of his transforming love. God, he made humanity as family for family. And in fact, we said this statement that God uses groups of his children united around his purposes, committed to each other and loving their neighbors well. That's what he does. And he uses his family. And he's the head of that family, right? We acknowledge, like Jesus is the head of this family. That's why we call ourselves a Jesus church. This is his family. And, and he's the kind of shepherd that leaves the 99 to go after the one. What a, 
What a beautiful image. He's the kind of father that scans the horizon, just waiting for his wayward son to return home. He could throw his arms around him. So AJC is the kind of family that believes in searching for the one. Because that's the heart of our Heavenly Father, right? That's the heart of the Son, and that's central to the work of the Holy Spirit. We also talked about this amazing ministry and experience that we have around here. It was already referenced earlier called Alpha, uh, which, by the way, it started, but it's not too late. If you were like, oh, that sounds like something I might be interested in. I, I've got lots of questions about Jesus myself, or I've got questions about what it means to, like, to bring people to Jesus. This is the place for you. I'd encourage you, go ahead and sign up. Um, In addition, I also asked us as a family to consider what it would look like for us to open just one space around every table. I mean, just consider the power and the impact of all of the tables that are represented in this room if we simply open one space, one, one place for a person who was lonely and just needed to be invited into the family of God. Well, today, today we're gonna look at what it means for us to be on a shared journey together, a shared journey of formation, a common path, the way of Jesus. So if you would, please stand up to your feet uh, with your finger in Romans 12. Let's open up to Romans 12, starting in verse one as I read it out. Here we go. Romans 12, verse one says, therefore, or not Romans, sorry, Hebrews. I'm getting ahead of myself. Hebrews, you're all like, what's going on with this guy? Hebrews 12, verse 1 says this. By the way, Romans 12 is also fantastic, if you want to read that later. Uh, Okay, here we go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, Do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Skipping down to verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the fact that you are a God that knows us. You're the kind of God that sees us. And you meet us in our mess, but you don't leave us there. Thank you, Lord, for valuing us as your sons and daughters at such a high price, the price of your own son, Jesus. Thank you for the grace that you show but also thank you for the expectation. Lord, today, would you be our teacher? Would you train us for righteousness? Train us for formation. Train us for your discipleship. We want to be like you. So Lord, we open up our hands and our hearts and we say, just be our teacher today. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. We love you. 
Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. So I knew, I knew I was in trouble at mile marker 18. Even that sentence sounds insane to me now. What in the world was I doing running for 18 miles, let alone 26.2? That's just crazy. But I was plodding along, plodding along. And I do mean plodding. It was definitely plodding. Uh, and I began sorting through, like, how did I get myself into this? Like, well, what, what got me to this point? It, was, it actually started with this offhanded comment that I, about my bucket list that I made to one of my best friends. Uh, he, I said, wouldn't it be great if, like, when we were 40, we ran a marathon? And I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> I had no idea where that came from. And, and, and my friend, Innes, he said, that would be great. But we, you know, what if, what if we did the one in Dublin? It's the flattest marathon in the world. I was like, well, okay. That I could get behind, the flattest one in the world. And the next thing you know, here I am at mile marker 18 going like, what was I thinking, right? And everything was starting to go south. Likely it was the jet lag. I mean, who runs their first and only marathon across the ocean but... I was experiencing all sorts of internal dialogue between my brain and my stomach. Things were not good. But the, but the thing was is that I had done all of the work, okay? I, I, all the things that you were supposed to do, seven months of like slow buildup, running five times a week, eating all the right things, going to bed on early or going to bed early and on time and, and, and running, right? So much running. Then I got into like, ice baths and buying the right kinds of shoes and more running and then eating these like little gummies and this goo and this gel and all of the things. And of course, more running. But I hadn't planned for the jet lag. I hadn't planned for the stomach cramps, this stabbing mix of pain and nausea. It was horrible. And I had chosen this of my own free will. But I pushed through. Slowly, like, I would slow, slowly slow down in front of, like, the groups of, like, you know, the, the porta-potties on the side, like, just thinking, like, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? And the sweat dripping down my face, trying to not move in the wrong kind of way, trying to stay hydrated but not activated. And I, I knew that if I stopped, I would never start again. But everything inside of me wanted to stop. Every muscle, every nerve, every joint, my lungs, my legs, my feet, my internal organs were going on strike and my guts were trying to kill me. It was horrible. But the biggest enemy, my real enemy, was my mind. Excuse after excuse started like flooding across why it would be perfectly reasonable to stop. I mean, really, who takes up running in their 40s? but I had invested so much time, so much resources in training and equipping, so many early mornings, time I'd given up with my wife and my kids, hours that I would not get back. I needed to make this worth it. I needed to finish and not die. Those were my goals. Finish, don't die. So I kept putting one foot in front of the other, barely running, more like a, a waddle, waddle walk. You guys have seen people doing that. And I made my mind be quiet. I turned down the pain. 
I cried out to God and I put the next foot in front of the next foot in front of the next foot. And then something happened, something impossible, amazing, miraculous. I experienced that fabled runner's high. And suddenly I started like moving again. And when I got to, finally got to the last mile, which went on forever, by the way, I knew I was going to finish the race. Like I knew I was going to get there. And I just set my eyes towards the goal and kept plodding along. You know, there's a reason why life is so often compared to a race or a rat race. And it's not just because of the pace, though there will always be times for running and walking. There's joy and pain in both of those things. No, no, I think it's so often compared to a race because life is a journey where, where joy and pain is found as we move forward towards our goal, towards a kingdom, towards our king. For followers of Jesus, our purpose is wrapped up both in the journey and the destination. And that's, that's not cliche. That is the way of Jesus. Like a race, we have this end goal that awaits out in front of us, the coming and complete kingdom of God. But we still have to go day by day through the terrain. We have to navigate what's in front of us. We have to wake up the next day and keep moving forward. In fact, the scriptures have so much to say about running and walking and competing, and they even say a ton about winning. There seems to be an inherent conviction in the Bible that humankind was created to move forward through history with rhythms of rest and walking and running towards an eternal kingdom and a Sabbath rest. The Bible, it talks so much about this. I mean, there's like literally over almost 300 times where it references walking and about 100 times where it references running. And so maybe that's the balance. I don't know. Either way, it uses these images and stories repeatedly to connect us to the idea of moving forward, which the author of Hebrews picks up here in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verse 1 starts, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I want to pause here for a second. In the previous chapter, the author of Hebrews, he's listed out this list of people from the Old Testament, these forerunners of the faith, people who lived with their lives pointing forward in faith to Jesus, to his kingdom. They're examples of individuals like, like Noah and Abraham, Moses' mom and Rahab. There's amazing examples of people who faithfully ran the race. They walked the walk. They believed in something that they could not see. And because of that, says the author of Hebrews, they've prepared the ground for us. They've, made, they've taken on faith so that we can borrow some of their momentum, so to speak. So let's keep reading. So he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. This idea is so key, just like it matters how we come to God. Check out like week one, we talked a bit about that. It also matters how we run. The author separates the idea into kind of like two big components. There's things that hinder us and there's things that entangle us. The word hinder in the original language, it's, it's connected to the word like barrier. You could actually translate it barrier. Basically, we're called to throw off everything that acts as a barrier or blockade to our running well. 
And then that word everything, it's, it's kind of run in parallel to the word sin. Those things that are contrary to the way of Jesus, contrary to the heart of Jesus. The author is clarifying for us that there are behaviors in our life, actions that we do that are counter to the way of Jesus. They, they entangle us. They wrap us up. But then there's also normal things that they're not necessarily counter to the way of Jesus, but, but they don't help us run the way we should. I remember when I started training for, our mar- for my marathon, I didn't realize that you needed to adjust your diet. Like I kind of had to learn this as I went. I kept eating the same like normal big dinners just before I would go to bed and then getting up in the morning and running with like this stomach pain. I was like, what am I doing? I had to move in my mind from the idea of running so I could eat to, to eating so I could run. And it was kind of like a pretty big shift. And, and as I made that shift, I began to realize like, oh, eating has the potential of being a barrier of being an obstacle to me running well. The author of Hebrews calls us to consider that. I wonder, I wonder, is there some place in my life that isn't necessarily evil or bad, but it keeps me from running how God wants me to run? You know, that, that candy crush addiction? Like, it might not be like an entangling sin, but it is keeping you up to 1.30 a.m., which is making it impossible for you to get up the next day and spend some time with Jesus. It's becoming a barrier. Does it make sense? You guys tracking with me? Everybody with me? Right? I wonder, are there places in our life where God's just saying like, hey, you need to submit that to me. Verse one continues. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What would it look like for our life if we ran it through the lens set of being a runner in a race? What kind of adjustments would we make to our day-to-day lives and the things that we care about, the patterns and our habits, if we were trying to run with perseverance? What are the actions, the activities that I would need to, to add to my life or take away from my life to keep running well? This, this is the challenge of the author of Hebrews, and arguably most of the New Testament, actually, He lays it out for us. Theologians will sometimes use words like sanctification or consecration. Pastors will use words like, you know, evangelism and discipleship. At AJC, we like the word formation. They they all point to this idea of process and growth, to becoming the kind of human who runs the race well. End goal in mind as we navigate a day-to-day terrain that can be up and down and back and forth. But Hebrews keeps going. Verse two, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart fixing our eyes on Jesus. Really, this is the heart of all formation. It matters where you fix your eyes. And experience tells me that this is both a literal thing and a spiritual thing. Jesus is our goal, our destination, but he's also the one that helps us navigate our day-to-day. 
And, and much of this perseverance that we need, it, it means setting our minds on his goals, on his heart, on his words, in defiance sometimes of our own competing ideas. I think about mile marker 18 and that deep desire to quit. You know, it was the habits that, that helped, the habits that helped me get my feet continue to go in front of me. I had started those habits like six, seven months earlier. Those times that I had laid in bed and listening to my alarm going off and looking out the window and thinking it looks really cold out there, right? And this bed is really comfortable. It won't matter if I just miss one week, will it? Really? Will it? No. I needed to grab my thoughts, which I would do. And, and then I would force my feet onto the ground. It was a battle of my mind. One that I did sometimes lose, but one more often than not. And I kept fighting it. Paul tells the Corinthians, using battle imagery in 2 Corinthians 10, to use every weapon that they've got to destroy enemy strongholds. How? By taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Jesus. Mentally grabbing the thoughts from our imaginations and forcing them, forcing them into alignment with the heart of God. That's the call. But here's the thing. It, it's not enough to try to avoid temptations mentally as we run. I mean, that that's only part of what it means to run with perseverance. We need to also replace some of the voices in our life. We have to replace some of the views in our eyes, even some of the tastes and smells and touches around us. We need to create environments around us that help us run well. For me, that looked like emptying the junk food from our pantry while I was training for my marathon. My environment needed to help me be successful. My life it needed to support my battle. I wonder, what, what might that look like in your life, in, our, in all of our lives? Are there places that we, we need to stop going? Or, or maybe there's just something in your life that you just need to get rid of it. Maybe there's people that you need to stop seeing or start seeing. More on that in a moment. But again, this is only one part of this kind of multi-layered formation process. Hebrews is talking about this throwing off the barriers and the sin that entangles and grabbing our thoughts and fixing them on Jesus, making them align to his heart, to his way, emptying the junk food out of our lives. And then, and then what does he say? Meditate on Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Look at Jesus. Jesus is the model of what it means to run well, Hebrews calls us to consider him. Do we need an example in our day, living in our city of what it means to run well? Hebrews says, consider Jesus. Do we need inspiration to keep going when things are difficult at home? Consider Jesus. Are we tired of trying to be, the, to be kind in a world that's so filled with hate? Consider Jesus. Are we weary of taking the more difficult path of integrity, maybe in our workplace or in our school? Consider Jesus. Does it feel like life is just continually uphill? 
no rest in sight against the wind, against the world, Hebrews would say, consider Jesus so you don't lose heart. Hebrews doesn't mince words. Jesus is our strength, our guide, and our model. He's the one that helps us know what it looks like to live well. And to be clear, it's not what others say about him, though there is lots of good stuff out there. No, the key is that we must know him. We must seek his heart, his mind, and his actions, for sure, from the scriptures. But then we must learn how to hear his voice in the madness of this world. And friends, that will only happen if we make space on our calendar. Well, let's just be honest. It's, it's not gonna happen unless we carve out the time every single day to make that happen. That's how you win the race. That's how you win the battle. And this is what it means to train for the kingdom. The author of Hebrews continues in the next verses by highlighting the reality of our sonship and daughtership. God is our father and we are his kids, which means there's gonna be some times in our life that we struggle with brokenness and the patterns of sin that we have and God's gonna step in and there's gonna be discipline. But that's the role of a good parent. I mean, love is more than just grace. It's grace and expectation. God's love for us means that, that he will sometimes discipline us for our good or more often, he will use the difficulties in our life to break some of those addictions, idols, and rough edges. The thing is, too often, discipline is seen as like a bad word in our, in our day, right? It's associated with, with punishment. And so we kind of like, oh, oh, I don't like the sound of that word, but, but here's the trick. When discipline is chosen freely as a path of loving formation, it is no longer something that is done to me. It is something that is done for me. Let me say that again. When discipline is chosen freely as a path of loving formation, it is no longer something that is done to me. It is something that is done for me. In fact, we often see this, this word discipline used this both ways in our life, don't we? I was thinking about this idea, like I, I'm being disciplined by my wife, Brittany, for eating the last of her gluten-free, dairy-free cookies. <laughs> I'm so sorry, honey. They were just so delicious. Versus, I am disciplining myself to not eat the last of my wife's gluten-free and dairy-free cookies, even though they look so delicious. You guys catch the difference? It's the same word. One is done to me. The other one is done for me. Kenyan-born Iliad Kipchoge is this Olympic distance runner, devout follower of Jesus, and the only human to ever run a marathon in less than two hours. Think about that, 26.2 miles in less than two hours. He once said, only the disciplined ones in life are free. Now let that sink in. Devout follower of Jesus, disciplined marathon runner, only the disciplined ones in life are free. And this is the truth of it. Discipline in the kingdom is not a tool to bind us. 
It is a tool to set us free. And God is not some universal killjoy. He just knows us better than we know ourselves. And his desire is to see us fruitful. Hebrews goes on to clarify in verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. I remember a number of years back getting into a situation. I was, I was leading in this, in this uh, community and one of, one of the people that were part of the staff team, they had a, just a different perspective on what it meant to be successful than the rest of the staff team. But the problem is, is I cared about both sets of people. And I kept going back and forth between them, trying to find ways to reconcile, to pull people together. And unfortunately, as time went on, my own people-pleaser instincts kicked in. And it wasn't that I lied, but I started spinning things. Anybody ever been there before? I started trying to make things just a little bit better than they were for each party until finally the lack of clarity blew up. There were hurt relationships, hurt people, we had to go in completely different directions. It was, it was so painful, so difficult. And I realized in the middle of it that I had brought my brokenness into this leadership moment. And God used that moment to discipline me, to change me. I had to go back. I repented to both sets of people, apologized, tried to make things right again. It was, it was a painful, difficult time. But here's the thing. That experience, it changed me. It changed how I lead profoundly. It's not that I still don't try to bring people together. That's still my instinct. But it broke off my need to people please. And, and it, it broke off this deep desire that I had to try to fix every problem and let God be the one who's doing the fixing. It grew my capacity to step into conflict. And it taught me how to step aside more quickly and let God do his work. It trained me to be a better leader. Through that process of pain and discipline, I learned how to be a better leader. And this is why discipline is so important to our journey. If we'll allow ourselves to be trained, discipline can produce the fruit of righteousness and peace. There's a narrative in our culture that has unfortunately crept into the church and it goes something like this. If something is hard, it must be wrong. If we're not getting something the first time or the second time, it's probably not worth our time. Friends, I would argue that we all know that that's not true. Deep down, the part of our Imago Dei, that part of the image of God that's in us, we know that hard work matters. And we, we know that deep down, it's like when you put the hard work in on the front end, it often pays off in the back end. That nothing worth doing comes easy. And this is doubly true when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. We, knowing something that is hard to do and pushing through it. We know that that's the nature of discipleship, but knowing that thing, knowing that something is difficult but good for us, it doesn't make it easier to do, does it? It's like, if it did, I would eat a lot more vegetables. And I think that's a part of the reason why the author of Hebrews starts chapter 12 where he does, with a great cloud of witnesses. 
our family. To be formed means to walk together, to run together. We were created to grow, to be formed, to move forward as a family. One of the roles of a family is to act, remember, as a vehicle of that formation. We create spaces so that we can become the men and women that God has made us to be as we move forward on a common path. Practically, this means that our formation should not be done in isolation. Let me say that again. Our formation should not be done in isolation. Partially because we need other voices to help us hear Jesus sometimes, but also partially because we need other people to help get our feet out of the bed and onto the ground. I was having this conversation with uh, Grace. She's back in town for this week. Hey. Um, it's funny, me and Mackenzie, we got this little backstory. When, when she was a lot younger, we used to jog together. It was not the highlight of our, life, our relationship. It was, it, was, it was a rough season of jogging together. Um, but in that time, it was kind of like, we got to a point where like, you know, it's probably better if I do my running and you do your thing and, and we change. Well, here's a fascinating thing. She's now at Moody and she's running like all the time, like almost every day, right? Yeah, it's crazy. She's, she's out for her runs and she's running with girls from her dorm section every single morning using it as a time to connect, time to like build relationships, fantastic. And then she said this statement, it was like three days ago, and I, I wrote it down because it was so great. She said, I just realized how much easier it is to get out there and run when there's someone out there waiting for me. Think about that statement for a second. Think about the statement as it relates to our faith. I just realized how much easier it is to get out there and run when there's someone out there waiting for me. What a beautiful way to think about formation and what a beautiful way to think about community. It's Community Sunday. That's why we got this shirts are floating around out there. Um, it's, it's literally fighting everything inside of me to not throw this shirt out into the crowd right now. <laughs> but the reality is, is that there are people in this room who are in the midst of this. They've fought forward in community and they believe in it because they know that something unique happens in community. A beautiful formation happens in community. What would it look like if we began to see people, these people that are around us, these brothers and sisters as like teammates on a racing crew that we're doing it together and they're there to help us get our feet out of the bed, onto the floor every single morning. What if they were there to help us become who Jesus has called us to be? I've got two calls for us this morning as we wrap up. And the first call is this. What is one way that God is calling you into formation today? The author of Hebrews lays out all of these beautiful things. What's one way for you today? Is there something that's entangling you? You're like, God's calling me to lay that away. Is there a place in your life where it's like, I need to go back to Jesus as my model? Or is there another place where it's like, I need to learn how to discipline? What is the one thing in your formation that Jesus is saying like, I want you to step into that. I want to encourage you, write it down. Write it down. Better yet, tell it to the person beside you especially if they're not a stranger. Like if it's a person you know, tell it to them. 
What's one way? Second call. Who is God calling you into formation with today? Friends, this community thing, it works. But this morning, during pre-gathering prayer, which was just awesome this morning, we had a little Piper Brock. She had a word from God, and her word was basically like she felt like there's going to be people who their hearts have been broken. And, and maybe it was in an actual community, or maybe it was just in community life out there in general, but their hearts have been broken, and it's keeping them from joining community. I mean, a powerful word, powerful word from her. The reality is I know that in this room, there's some of you who have kept community at a distance because you've been hurt by community. And that, that is a real, real need. My invitation to you is don't let the hurt of one moment stop you from the fruit of another. Don't let the hurt of the past keep you from the fruit of the future. God knows you better than you know yourself. There is a community of people out there who want to be there to help you get out of bed, to help you be who God is calling you to be. Consider Jesus. Would you stand your feet, please? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to partner with us through giving, visit us at jesuschurch.org.